God gives us as a congregation many, many wonderful opportunities. And one reason why we're able to take advantage of those opportunities is we have so many individuals that's willing to give of their time and of their money uh, and of their heart. And we appreciate Greg and, and that sacrifice and the sacrifice that his family made while he was away uh, this past week in that. If Jesus said for you to go and study a passage, would you go and study that passage? It's interesting from the text that we read this morning in Matthew, the ninth chapter. If you'll remember back in verse 9, Jesus came and was talking to Matthew, the tax collector, in his office and asked him to follow him. And so in verse 9, we have a story of conversion. But then in verse 10, Matthew records it with the pronoun it. It happened. And what happened was a great evangelistic event. Jesus was invited to Matthew's house. The publicans and other sinners were invited to Matthew's house. It's going to be a wonderful opportunity for many individuals to meet Jesus Christ. And so that event unfolded. But it was also something else. And that is, it was arrogance that took place on the outskirts as the Pharisees looked on. And that's what we read as we read in verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Then in verse 12, he explains to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Remember this morning, we talked about using Jesus' own words to describe, really, that they are the sickest of all. And so it's a strange irony that the ones that had the worst disease, because to not know that you have the disease, and yet there's a cure, but yet not to take advantage of that cure is terrible. And so that's the predicament that these individuals were in. And so Jesus is explaining that he came to help those that are sick. That would be those publicans. But it also would be the Pharisees that he came to help. The publicans, or at least Matthew, was willing to be helped. The Pharisee was not willing to be helped in this particular occasion. But Jesus' words... Let me just pause right here and tell you. When I studied through this lesson for this week, I've preached this text a few times in, in the time that I've been preaching. And each time I've told myself, I want to go back. Because notice there in verse 13, he says, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I do not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Many times when I've preached this text, I've said to myself, one of these days I'm going to really go back. And I want to study Hosea very carefully and see really what was being taught in Hosea and then bring it back and make application here. As I was studying this week, and especially yesterday, finally, I said, this is the time to do it. I'm tired of putting that off. And so what we're going to do tonight is go back just as Jesus said. He said, go and learn what this means. So let's go back to Hosea, the book of Hosea. And what we'll do is look, especially at the sixth chapter tonight, because that's where Jesus quoted from. We'll give a brief few introductory remarks uh, out of the book of Hosea. In your pew Bibles, it's 798, 798. If you were here uh, just a few weeks or a couple months ago, you remember that we did a lesson or two on Hosea. And so we have already, perhaps some of us, some immediate insight to Hosea that maybe will jog your memory. Hosea was the prophet that was a part of the northern kingdom, and he prophesied to the northern kingdom. 
There were 12 tribes. When there came the divide, 10 tribes made up the northern kingdom. There was one tribe that was one of the largest and in the middle of the northern kingdom, and that is called Ephraim. And so oftentimes the whole northern kingdom is called Ephraim. And I mention that because that's going to be in our text tonight. Now, as we think about the 200 years that they were divided that led up to this point, there were prophets sent to the northern kingdom, such as Elijah, Elisha, Amos, Jonah. And now finally, for the last 40 years of their existence, Hosea is sent to them. At the time that he's sent to them, they're at their zenith of power. But yet things are going to fall apart for this nation because they have left God and they're not turning back. But Hosea is sent to make that effort, to make that plea. It's time to come back to God. And if you'll remember, the way that this was done was what I suppose most of us would say was a very strange way to communicate to Israel. But if you'll remember in the first chapter, what he was told to do was go and take a wife of harlotry. And then they... At least there was at least one child that they bore to gather. Other children were born. And then when we read in the second chapter by verse 5, we see that the mother has played the role of a harlot. And so she is, is um, living with, having affairs with these men, and gifts are being given, but eventually the gifts run out. And so the next time we find her, as we go into the third chapter, it's almost as if she is a bond servant now. And she's being sold for whatever it's cost to keep her up, if you will. And of all things, God tells him to go and purchase her back. And this is, of course, symbolism to say that, that Israel, the northern kingdom, and of course it's true also of the southern kingdom, have, have committed spiritual adultery. And God isn't wanting to give up on them. God is willing to buy them back. He's willing to forgive them. He wants them to come home. And so it's a powerful message that not only is taught through the words of Hosea, but it's even taught through the action in Hosea's life. And so as we go into the fourth chapter, along about verse 6 and, and following, they're told that there's going to be a great destruction in their land because they no longer have the knowledge of God. And you know, just in the introductory remarks tonight, you know, I mentioned that, that God speaks to us through His Word and we speak to God through prayer. What's the danger if we forget the Word? The danger is we can't live spiritually without knowledge of God and this is how we gain the knowledge of God. They were going to lose their existence as a nation. They were going to lose their souls. And a great part of that was because they no longer had a knowledge of God. We go into the fifth chapter, in verse 4 and 5, and we see that it was pride that was turning them away, causing them to stumble in their iniquities. But then this brings us to the sixth chapter, which is going to be the very passage that Jesus said, go and learn what this means. You see there in verse 6, Hosea, the sixth chapter and verse six, he says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. You're probably already thinking along this lines, but I'd like to plant this seed if you're not. I don't think he was sending them back to the book of Hosea to read just this one verse. I think he was somewhat giving them a homework assignment to say, I want you to go back and I'll tell you about the section that I really want you to concentrate on. You're going to see the verse. And the way we have it broken down in our Bibles today, it'd be Hosea 6 and 6. But I don't think he's telling them, I just want you to read that one verse because he pretty much quoted that one verse. They wouldn't have to go and learn that. What's he wanting them to do? He's wanting them to look at the paragraph that this is in. And what is being taught in this paragraph because it relates so much to what is happening. Really, the sixth verse is somewhat an introduction 
for the next uh, verses down to verse 11, which is the end of the chapter, the way our chapter breaks break in our Bibles today. We'll mention a few things leading up to that, but especially it's the things that follow that help us understand the lesson Jesus was trying to teach these people that were closing the door. Keep in mind, they were closing the door to Matthew and the publicans. No, we don't want you. You don't belong in our religious group. The Lord says, you need to go back and you need to learn some lessons about who belongs and who doesn't belong. Just by way of introduction to these passages, let's mention verse 4. Let's read it. O Ephraim. See, that's where he's talking to the northern kingdom. What shall I do to you? O Judah. Now, that's the southern kingdom. It's very common for prophets that were sent either to the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom from time to time to mention the other kingdom. And so that, that's just a common thing here. But most of the emphasis in the book of Hosea is going to be to the northern kingdom. But you're going to see those mentions every now and then of Judah. And, and it, so now talking primarily to the northern kingdom, he says, for your faithfulness is like a morning cloud and like the early dew, it goes away. A few weeks ago, we talked about this exact thing. You see the, the morning cloud and if you wait just a few hours, it's gone. You see the morning dew, if you wait just a few hours, it's dried. And, and he's looking at their faithfulness and he says, you remind me of the morning cloud. You're faithful, short time, and then it's gone. Come back. No, it's gone. Come back. No, it's gone. Come back. No, it's gone. He's pleading with them to come back. They won't come back. Their faithfulness was very short-lived. And so that's why we read in verse 5, God's faithfulness is always there. Now, let's note this before we read. Just because man changes his way of living, God cannot change his word. In other words, man says, I'm not going to live by the way you want me to, God. God says, okay, I'll just change my word so that it'll make you look better. No. We either live by God's Word or we're hewn and we're slain and we become judgments of God's Word. And that's the way the three words, the action words here. Look at verse 5. Because they were like that cloud and like the dew that's gone, he says in verse 5, Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And your judgments are like light that goes forth. You know, Hebrews 4 and 12 says that the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. Word of God carves away at our life. God wants to make us and to mold us and to carve us into what we ought to be. And so here, the idea of God is saying, I'm trying to carve you. I'm trying to slay you. The, the individual that's willing to live against God, I'm trying to slay that individual. But then he says, finally, my judgment against you is going to be a bright light. Here we are several thousand years later, And we're still reading about where a nation of people said, we won't live for God, and a God that said, this is the way to live, and who won? A thousand years later, seeing God's judgment is light. It keeps shining forth. As we think about God being... ...to realize that a part of His faithfulness is His Word. And I make terrible mistakes in my life if I try to justify sin because God cannot justify sin. And so He slays us. In other words, His righteousness will shine forth and we need to make sure that we're on His side of righteousness. Okay, having said that, we now come to verse 6 where He said, More than burnt offerings. Now let's put this in 
kind of, if you will, rewind just a minute back to some introductory facts because this is going to help us understand the, the next few passages here. When they divided in the northern kingdom, one of the things that they did was built golden calves. And a great part of their worship was to the golden calves. And so they would have a priesthood type of situation that they would have their golden calves. And they would have places they would go and they would even have sacrifice that they offered. And so here, the idea was these individuals apparently thought that they were doing a great thing to offer this sacrifice, but yet their life wasn't righteous. And so they were willing to take one without the other. And so what God is promoting here is there has to be a joint venture here of mercy and sacrifice. You say, well, I don't really understand. What, what did God have in mind? Well, let's read on. And he tells a story of what he had in mind. First, he just puts it bluntly in verse 7. But like men, they transgress the covenant. They have dealt treacherously with me. In other words, he just starts out by saying, you've made a mess of it. I wanted a right relationship with you, and you've violated our covenant. You've dealt treacherously. Malachi, the second chapter, talks about when we violate our covenant with God, it's treacherous dealing. The second chapter in verse 10, and he even says that when a husband uh, divorces his first wife, that he has dealt violently and treacherously with her. And so it's the idea that we haven't been faithful to each other. And so he just lays that out at the beginning. He says, you haven't been faithful to me. Okay? How were they not faithful that also involved them being merciless? Because keep in mind, he keeps saying, I want mercy, not just sacrifice. I want mercy. So what illustration is he going to give us of something they were actually doing that proves that they were merciless? In verse 8, he mentions Gilead is a city of evildoers and defiled with blood. There's at least two cities named this, but one was a city of refuge. We'll come back to that idea of a city of refuge. Verse 9, as bands of robbers lie in wait for a man, so the company of priests murder on the way to Shechem. Now that brings us to another town. And this town was a second city of refuge. Surely they commit lewdness. In other words, they're doing sinful things involving financial gain. What is taking place here? When you and I can understand what we've just read, we will clearly understand what Jesus was saying when He said, go and learn what this means. To make sure we clearly understand, hold your finger here, and let's go to Numbers, the 35th chapter, and let's remind ourselves, what is a city of refuge? You remember under the old law, there was an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth, and a life for a life? And sometimes people think that was the old Wild West style. It wasn't. There was, there was order to this. In other words, if an individual uh, took in, in a fight, put out one man's eye, and there were witnesses there, they would come before the congregation, and there would be proof through the witnesses that this individual uh, damaged the other man's eye. And so when they were found guilty through what we would think of of a trial situation, you didn't have to decide, well, what's the sentencing going to be? It was an eye for an eye, and so therefore the punishment would be the taking of that eye. It was the same thing with life. Uh, an individual's life was taken. There was one that would stand up as an avenger for the deceased. And he would go and represent that individual, if you will, in a type of court setting before the congregation. And what would be proven there, was this an, an intentional taking of life, or was this an accidental taking of life? If it was an intentional taking of life, it was up to the avenger to make sure that that individual's life was taken. If it wasn't intentional, 
what would they do? Would they say, well, it was just an accident and everybody goes back home? No. Contrary to our society, uh, at least in some areas, this is very different. They wouldn't excuse even accidental death as to say it was just an accident, everybody go home, we're sorry it happened. Let's read a few things like this. Uh, Numbers, the 35th chapter, and by the way, this is on page 157 of your pew Bible, 157. And along about 11, we start reading where Moses is gathering the children of Israel together. They're about ready to go over into Canaan land. And he says in 11, Then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee from there. They shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. So see, there's the idea. There has to be that judgment of the congregation. And then verse 13 tells us there's going to be six cities appointed, and 14 tells us how they're going to divide them so they'll be evenly spaced among their regions. Some have said that it's about a day's journey uh, apart, and etc. Verse 16, he gives a few examples of what might be a te- intentional death. He says in 16, But if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. 17, if he strikes him with a stone, it's the same thing. He, he's a murderer, he should be put to death. 18, if he strikes with a wooden hand weapon and he's found to be a murderer, he should be put to death. Let's skip down now to 22. However, if he pushes him suddenly without enmity or throws anything at him without lying in wait or uses a stone by which a man could die throwing it at him without seeing him so that he dies while he was not his enemy or seeking his harm, then the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood and the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where he had fled and he shall remain there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with holy oil. But if the manslayer at any time goes outside the city limits of the city, the refuge where he fled, the avenger of blood finds him outside the city limits uh, of refuge, the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of the blood. 31, 32, and 33 talk about how you can't be making bargains. You can't take ransom for a man's life. If he's deserving of murder, he can't come to the avenger and say, let's make an agreement. You, I'll pay you so much and you let me live. Or even if it's accidental, you can't pay a ransom and, and I'll pay you so much and, and don't make me go to that city of refuge to live. And, and none of those kind of agreements are, are allowed under God's law. So what's the point here? There was the city of refuge. Now, if an individual was going to go to that city of refuge, it's because there had been a death of which he had been a participant in that death accidentally. But yet, until the high priest dies, he has to go and live in that city of refuge. If you had to leave tonight and go and make your dwelling in a city and you didn't know if you were going to be coming back in five years or in 25 years what would you take with you? I don't know about you but I try to make sure that I took a pretty good sum of money because I don't know exactly where I'm going to live once I get there and how I'm going to survive until I find out how I can survive in that city. I would think that anybody that had anything, they might leave part of it definitely for their family. 
But if they had something that would be of monetary value that they could take with them, they would do that. And before we go further, can you imagine how hard it would be? It was an accident. It was proven to be an accident. That's Bless your heart. We know it's an accident. We want to help you sell. Go back to Hosea, the sixth chapter, and see if that's what these individuals were doing. There were priests that we're reading of in Hosea, the sixth chapter. And he's talked about the city of Gilead in verse 8. He's talking about the city of Shechem in verse 9. And he says of the city of Gilead, it's defiled with blood. And I'm going to read verse 9 again. As band of robbers. Now notice it's not the band, it's as. As band of bands of robbers lie in wait for a man, so the company of priests murder on the way to Shechem. Here are the individuals that ought to be standing at the city gate saying, we want to bestow mercy upon you. You're going through a hard time in life. We want to help this be the, the best transition that it can be. An accident's taking place in your life. We want to be merciful to you. And instead, they were hiding behind the bushes and they were ambushing the individuals, taking the individual's life. We call that merciless. Taking their life and robbing them. And we would assume that as they robbed them, they must have gave part of the money back in sacrifice. And God is crying out through Hosea, I don't want your sacrifice, I want mercy. Now it starts making some sense. Merciless people that were trying to ease their conscience by just giving something back, but the whole time taking advantage of other people. I believe that studying this story, studying the story this morning, studying the public and the, and the Pharisees' prayer in, in Luke, the 18th chapter. I've noticed something this week that I've never noticed as much. One of the things that no doubt stirred Jesus so much against the Pharisees was that they were always against other people receiving mercy from them or from God. Turn with me, if you will, and I would like for us to see that in the occasion of the publican's prayer Luke, the 18th chapter, and to the Pharisees' prayer. And then after we do that, we'll simply go back to the text and close this lesson out. In Luke, the 18th chapter, <clears throat> and by the way, there are many other passages that we could go to to see very similar teachings. This isn't just something that's just sprinkled once or twice throughout the Scriptures. Uh, we could literally spend a few hours here tonight studying Scriptures like this, but that probably wouldn't be necessary, would it? Uh, Luke, the 18th chapter... Notice as we read in verse 9, Jesus is telling them that this, this parable, and it probably mirrored so much what real life was for them. And, and just imagine, if you will, what if Matthew, and he probably was, was standing by listening to this parable. 
and think he was a publican. And, and he was, the day he was converted to Jesus, it was the Pharisees that were giving Jesus down the road. And, and think about him listening to this story. Verse 9, and also he spoke this parable to some who... on. God, no. It was pride and arrogance. They trusted in themselves. when we despise others? important than them. Jesus calls Matthew to follow him, and he does, a verse of conversion. Verse 10, it happened. He invited Jesus. Sinners to repentance. Show mercy. God's people are to be the ones on earth that shows mercy to the lost. If we don't, who is? Who's going to help the lost find the Savior? But yet, who was it that was shutting the door? It was the Pharisees. They were the ones shutting the door. They were merciless. God says, oh, Jesus says, you ought to have been merciful. 
You see, he had the wrong career. He'd done the wrong things in his life. And they were determined. He wasn't going to repent and become a part of their group. Tonight, I need to show mercy everywhere God shows mercy and to every person God shows mercy. And I need to make sure that I realize the importance of mercy and sacrifice. And keep this in mind. God's not saying in any of this the sacrifice isn't important. He's saying both must be there. Yes, we need to live our life righteous. Yes, we need to teach the truth. But we need to always have hearts and minds that are open to encourage others the opportunity to do the same thing. Tonight, if your life isn't right with God, please believe this. God wants your life to be right with Him. There's not anyone here that God says, I don't want you to come back to me. I don't have mercy for you. God has mercy for you. He wants to extend that mercy to you. And we as God's children, we want to do our best to help you see that God is extending that mercy to you. Let's make sure in our life that we live so that we are submitting our life to God so that His grace can reach to us. If you've never been baptized in a Christ for remission of your sins, won't you do that tonight to accept God's mercy? If you have been baptized into Christ, but somewhere along the way you have separated yourself from God, He'll extend His mercy to you again. We can help you in any way. Come as we stand as we sing.